0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel Elmani Second Timothy oh, right All right you guys, you're 12 o'clockers, so I gotta like be. On you to keep you awake. First Timothy chapter two in verse one. We're gonna see today the priority of prayer, the parts of prayer, the power of prayer, and the patriarchs in prayer. And so we read in verse one, he says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. First thing we see in verse 1 is the priority of prayer. We begin with the word, therefore. And that right there refers to the overall charge of the previous chapter where Paul is commanding Timothy to stay in Ephesus and make sure the church stays on course, man, stays on track, teaches the truth, is living the truth, the biblical church life, the apostolic doctrine, and so one of the things that you got to come away with as a congregation is we got to make sure that we have this priority of prayer. And so he urges, he exhorts, he pleads, he begs. I beg of you guys, man, make sure that you have this priority. First of all, he says there in verse 1, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving it thanks be made for all men. Now, some might see this as an incidental, first of all. It's just kind of there, but really, it's not just an incidental presentation. This is official church indoctrination. That right there, you guys, in the list of our priorities as a church, that we should be a praying church. We should have that priority of prayer. Have you guys ever heard that quote by Corey Tenboon? She said that prayer should be our steering wheel and not our spare tire. Have you guys heard that? And there's a big difference, right? When it's your spare tire, what do you do? You get serious about prayer when you break down. But we shouldn't wait until we break down, man. We should make prayer our priority even when things are going well. We should pray every day. God, show me the way. God, give me the power. Lord, keep me safe. God, be glorified in my life. Many Christians and many churches, it's sad to say and see, but prayer is just not a priority. And, you know, if you could, just for a moment, examine your own life. How is your prayer life? It's important for us to make sure we got that one straight. You know, I know we as a congregation, we need to grow in this area. It would be so cool, you guys, some of you men here. Men, right? Men, man, maybe wake up early on a Saturday morning and join us for men's prayer. Watch how that will change your life, your family, your destiny. Maybe some of you ladies, if you can make it out on a Wednesday night, we have a Wednesday night prayer meeting for the ladies, man. It makes a huge difference. We've been seeing that going on since day one when we were there on the streets of Garvey. It was so cool to see what God does. Every Sunday night, we have congregational prayer. And so I know it's hard to make it every Sunday, but maybe once in a while you come out. Why? Because we understand the priority of prayer. Paul says, therefore, I urge, I urge you, I I exhort you, first of all, that you pray. This can be so easily neglected we see in the Gospels that when the people of God turned the house of God into something that it wasn't supposed to be, for them, it was a money-making mall. They were doing other business, but they weren't doing business for God and with God. So then remember what happened, you guys? Jesus went into the temple, and he quoted from Isaiah 56 verse seven in Mark 11:17. It says, "He taught, saying to them, "Is it not written, My house shall be called what? A house of prayer." but you have made it a den of thieves. They had forgotten and forsaken the priority of prayer. And so Paul writes to Timothy and he says, therefore I exhort first of all. And so we have the priority of prayer. I pray that would be etched in our hearts. And then we have the parts of prayer. He says again there in verse one, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So we begin to pray, and it's like, okay, Lord, well, how do we pray? Well, what are the things that we really need? Supplications, that's when that comes in. Uh, some translations use the word requests. Kenneth Weiss, the Greek scholar, he uses the word petitions. And what it refers to is the things that we personally need. You know, And some of you are in tune with that. You know exactly what you need. Some of you don't. It's so cool you can go to the Lord. He knows and he'll lay things on your heart. In tracing the words of the Bible, you'll find that this part of prayer is when we pray and God supplies, supplies, supplication, supplies our needs or maybe even the needs of others. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes we don't have, James chapter 4, verse 2 says, because we don't ask. And so what we find right here is this Greek word, it means to seek and ask and entreat of God for the needs of men. And you guys never underestimate that. You know, I don't know what your needs are. God is able to meet those needs. Even as you pray for others, Lord, I pray for Ted that you'd provide. I pray for Ed, Lord, that you'd guide. And in doing so, you have just made an infinite difference in their life. We're going to see that as we go through. Lord, you know our needs as a church. We need a place for our youth to congregate maybe even an office or a little more storage. Lord, we're asking for a building, but we're yielding to you. But you lift it up to God in prayer. Imagine if everyone in this church, all the adults, all the children, man, I don't know, 500 of us, imagine if we all caught that vision and everybody said, you know what, we're going to pray to God because we're going to believe in God. And we know the priority of prayer. And we know the parts of prayer that... We're supposed to be offering up prayers of supplication. And as we pray, man, there's this peace. Knowing that priority and never being too busy for supplication. How many of you here, if you're honest, man, you probably say, I haven't really been doing good in my prayer life. It's because I've been so busy, Lord. I've been busy. You know, and let me tell you something. God still loves you. Don't, you know, feel all condemned or defeated. But whatever you do, do not accept that. If you knew the priority of prayer, the place of prayer, the parts of prayer, and the power of prayer, believe you me, you would cut some things out of your life, not just find the time, but make the time to be a serious man or woman of prayer. Because it will make all the difference in the world. You know, that same word is used in Philippians 4, 6-7, through 7, where it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. You let your requests be made known to God... And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes there are things going on in my life, I'll be honest with you, my, my wife, my kids, whatever it might be. And, and um, I pray, and I really, you know, I finally, you know, get it. Oh, God, I've got to get on my knees. I've got to get on my face. God, I've got to begin fasting and really seeking you and seriously bringing this to the Lord. And when I do, I have a peace. Because I know that I've given this to God. But if I don't, if I'm going through life and things are going wrong here or there, I have questions, whatever it might be, and I haven't really bathed it in prayer, I don't have that peace. Why? Because I have not really, and the Lord knows, given it to Him. And that's why... We need to do that. And that peace of God, it surpasses all understanding. Supplication. God, I need these things. Lord, please, you are able to meet my needs. Only God can. And this is one of the things we do as a church. Watch, if you go over to First Timothy chapter 5. Really cool book we're going to see going through the church's responsibilities and the leader's requirements. One of the things we're going to see that the church is responsible for is for taking care of widows who are really widows. Did you guys know that? That that's a responsibility of the church. If she doesn't have any kids, no one to take care of her. She's really a godly widow. We take care of them as a church. That's what we're supposed to do. But look what it says they do. We do this for them. Look what they do for us. In verse 5, Now she who is really a widow and left alone, trusts in God and continues in supplications, there's that same Greek word, and prayers night and day. Because see, that's how it works. God wants to move. God wants to do great things. Then God will begin to stir us up to understand the priority of prayer. To understand the parts of prayer. To where you come in. And you guys are so cool, man. You do put in your prayer requests. Lord, you know, we need a a car or a coffee table or, or a house or healing or whatever it is. God, you know my needs. And then, you know, the church prays. We got the ladies praying. One day we're going to be home in heaven. And you guys are going to see it. And man, you guys got to know, I told you ahead of time, that the ones who are going to receive the greatest rewards are not going to be the pastors, not going to be the ones who were famous and up front. It's going to be the widow. It's going to be the lady who nobody knows her name. And nobody even knows that she's involved in ministry. But she is praying for you, me, for us, night and day. I'm telling you, man, if you want the power of God and the fire of God and the Holy Spirit, if you want to see God do great things, it's not going to happen. Great things are not going to happen unless you understand the priority of prayer, unless you understand the the different parts of prayer. God can meet your needs. I don't care how big they are. Lord, there's a building over there at $6 million. You know, what do you think, Lord? (laughs) Lord? How about at least $4 million for the down payment? God says, okay, no problem, man. That's chump change for me, right? But if God doesn't give us the $4 million, what does that mean? He doesn't want us there. And if God doesn't want us there, then I don't want to be there, right? But He is able to supply our needs. See, we know the different parts of prayer. Number one, supplication. Number two, look at verse 2 for kings. I'm sorry, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort first of all, First Timothy 2, in verse 1, that supplications, and secondly, there's that word prayers. This word right here, this Greek word, is a general word for prayer. And, and to be honest with you, some of these words are interchangeable, but one unique thing about this word is it includes that, that word praise. That it has the idea of that vital element of worship. And so when God looks at Calvary Chapel Almani, when God looks at this church, he's looking for prayer, are they asking for needs? Are they dependent upon me? Secondly, are they people who pray through worship? Are they praying in worship? I think it's important to know that worship through music is a form of prayer, and that's why it's important to have that heart to participate and to celebrate. God and worship and adoration and songs in psalms and hymns to Him. You guys, whatever you do, don't waste that time, that first half an hour where we're here and we're singing to God. I want to encourage you, if possible, close your eyes. I know it's hard because you're wondering, well, who just sat next to me? I hope it's somebody I like and you know you're thinking things like that or whatever, you're distracted. I wonder if so-and-so is here. Uh, but you know, it, if you know the words, or if you are learning the words, I know for me it helps a lot just to close my eyes and to really focus on the Lord, because prayer is talking to God. And I love those worship songs where we're not just talking about Him, but don't you love those worship songs when we're when we're talking to Him, when we're praying to Him? See, God sees those things. Oh Lord, my God, when I an awesome wonder, and there you are, you're talking to God. Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power through thy universe displayed. And then sings my soul, my Savior, God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. See, that's what churches are supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be praying to God through supplication, through adoration, See, this is what we do in order to be a healthy church. It's, it's praise, yes, but it's prayer to Him. And God is looking for these things. The third thing we read right here in our list, therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers. And then the third word right there is that word intercession. The Greek word is found only two times in the Bible, and again, these things are interchangeable. But here in chapter 2, verse 1, the idea of intercession is specified by the translators as the act of petitioning God or praying on behalf of another person or group. And again, it's something that we need to be doing as a church. You know, supplication is, God, I, I need, you know, love, I need grace, I need power, Lord, I need you to make ends meet. God, can you help me find a job? And, you know, there's the needs that are are being met, maybe personally. Then there's that time of worship to God, adoration. But then there's that time, man, when you're standing in the gap for somebody. You know, and when we as a church understand the power of intercession, I think we'll even engage in it more frequently. The, The great story, if you want to go to the book of Acts chapter 12, We have a really cool story here in verse 1 of Acts 12. It says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. And so imagine that, you guys, if you can, you know, um, Herod, he grabs James. Now, you guys know who James is, right? He was one of the closest guys to Jesus. Peter, James, and John. He grabs James, and he kills him. So next is who? He grabs Peter. And, you know, as a, as a church, you're probably thinking, well, I, I don't know, is there any hope? God, you already let James die. What's this, What's to make us think that something's going to be different with Peter? But what we find right here is in verse 4. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but here it is constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. See, that's what I'm talking about. You find out about this, this pastor arrested in Iran or. Or you find out about things that are going on. I mean, there's this one mom every single week for the last, I don't know how long it's been, maybe a year. Every single week, there's a prayer request in there for her son, in and out of prison, addicted to drugs. And so we're praying every single week. Constant prayer being offered up for this young man. And then it's just so amazing. This week, he came into the church. This week, we we sat down and talked. This week, he showed me what God was doing in his life. This week, he told me I've been clean for three weeks. How? The power of prayer. You see... That intercession, you guys got to understand, I don't know who it is that the Lord will lay on your heart, and, and be sensitive to that, as the Holy Spirit lays people on your heart. Sure enough, you know, this one couple, God's been laying them on my heart, laying them on my heart, sure enough, boom, man, they are going through this tremendous spiritual battle. I called them up the other day, and hey, you guys doing okay, and it's boom, you know what, all this is happening. Or you know, I would honestly say a couple of years ago I got laid someone else on my heart and then just random start praying, praying, praying. It was so cool to see them get saved. But constant prayer, the Lord does that work, but we have to understand the power of intercession. Here You know, Peter, it doesn't look good. James is already dead. Four squads of soldiers, 16 men. I mean, what's going to happen? And so what do we do? We read in verse 6, And when Herod was about to bring him out, so this is, man, you know, the nick of time, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side, and raised him up, saying, Arise, quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie in your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. And so he went out and followed him. And he didn't know that what was done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. That's kind of cool, huh? Imagine that iron gates just opening up, right? And they went out, went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And so when Peter had come to himself, he woke up and he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. And so, you know, you look at that story right there and you ask, well, how did it happen? How is it that Peter, who was delivered to, you know, four squads of soldiers, he's chained there, he's sleeping. How did he get set free? And someone says, well, it was the Lord and it was an angel of the Lord. And yes, it was the Lord and it was an angel of the Lord. But don't you see that it was the people of the Lord? who were constantly praying for him. And the Bible makes special note of that. As a matter of fact, look what happens. It says in verse 12, So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together doing what? Watching the Super Bowl. No, I'm just joking. They're praying. Get your friends together. You know what? You can you can you can maybe bribe them and say, hey, we'll get some pizza or whatever, I don't know. But once you get him there, just tell them, okay, you guys, let's pray, man. Let's pray. Let's see what God will do. And you know, that was the purity, that was the beauty of the church. There were many there. And they were praying. And Peter was set free because they were praying. Who needs to be set free? In your life. Whom God has laid on your heart. We got to pray for them. And you put in those prayer requests. And you come on a Sunday night. You come on a Saturday morning. You come on a Wednesday night. You get your friends together. And you say, you know what? We got to do business with God. And you begin to pray. Now it's not like you know we got the greatest faith. Because we don't. We're struggles. We We struggle. You know, it's like sometimes I feel like that, man, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And and we're going to see they didn't have the greatest faith, but they knew one thing. They knew they needed to pray. That was what they they knew, and they didn't stop. Because look what happens, it says in verse 13, And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she was so happy that she left him out there. She did not open the gate, but ran in and announced, hey, Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you're, you're beside yourself. You know She's crazy. And yet she kept insisting that it was so. And so they said, oh, it's his angel. I mean, these guys didn't have a lot of faith, huh? They didn't, man. Yeah? But Peter, it says, continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were just blown away. They were blown away. God does answer prayer. And even though we don't have the greatest faith, one thing we do, man, is we keep praying. We fall to our knees. We fall on our face. We begin to seek the Lord with everything that we are. And God begins to do a great work. We learn this. The power of intercession. You know, we have a good example here of interceding for an individual. There's a good example of interceding for a group of people. Later, you can read it in Exodus 32, 10 through 14. If you guys remember the story, you remember when the children of Israel they were taken out of Egypt, Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days. And while Moses was up there 40 days receiving the Ten Commandments, the children of Israel were down here breaking them all, right? And they made a golden calf. You guys remember that? And they said, Hey, this is the Lord. We don't know what happened to that guy Moses, you know, but they started, you know, basically having an orgy. And they thought they were worshiping God. And so Moses comes down and God says, Moses. Move to the side, because I am about to wipe these people out. I'm going to make a new nation from you. And what did Moses do? Just like he did constantly, over and over again, as a wonderful spiritual leader, he just kept falling on his face and praying, Lord, no. He was such a great interceder. And you read it. Through their wanderings in the wilderness, how many times God wanted to wipe them out. And Moses just, just kept falling on his face, Moses and Aaron, falling on their face, praying, God, don't do it, don't wipe them out, Lord, because... You know, then the nations will hear, well, yeah, you were strong enough to bring them out of Egypt, but you weren't strong enough to get them into the promised land. It's not good for your glory. And I know at the same time Moses was thinking, and it's not good for them. I love these people. I love them. And what a great example we have of what a difference it makes. It's like this individual, whoever it is, they're right here. And God's right here. And God's got a sword in his hand. And in this justice, he's about to smite them. But then you come in between and you say, Lord, have mercy on my friend. Have mercy on my son. Have mercy on my spouse. What a difference that intercession makes. You know, there's a a crazy verse over in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 22. This is probably one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Again, it was one of those times where the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom, had already been carried away by Assyria. Now, hundreds of years later, the southern kingdom is in sin, And so God's going to judge them. God's going to judge them. God's got the Babylonians. He's ready to bring them. So look what happens. We read in Ezekiel 22, it says in verse 30, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it. And so God, think about it, you guys. He's looking for somebody. Hey, I'm about to destroy the land. Also, let me search among the millions of people in the southern kingdom of Judah, and I just want to find one person, one person who's interceding, one person who's making a wall, one person who's standing in the gap. But look what happens. But I found no one. Nobody. And so what ends up happening? Verse 31. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I recompense their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. You guys, I I, I guess part of what I'm trying to do is encourage you to know That your prayers, they make an infinite difference. You might not think so, but they do. You're the one standing in the gap. You're the one building a wall. You're the one averting judgment. So keep it up. Keep praying. Watch what God does. See, this is what we're supposed to do as a church. What a difference it makes when we have a, a pleader, when we have an interceder. And I know then when we become Christians, it's cool because we even have Jesus to intercede for us. Isn't that cool? You know, I would like to go through here and say, to be honest with you, I like hey, you know what? They'd be a good interceder for me, and I think they're pretty cool because you know they're all perfect and all that, right? And, and then it's this is cool to know, like wow, but Jesus is interceding too. The Lord said to Peter in Luke twenty two thirty two, "I prayed for you that your faith should not utterly fail, and so when you've returned, strengthen your brethren." Jesus is praying for you too, man. We see the same thing in Romans eight thirty four, Matthew seven twenty five. And so thank God for this truth, Christ is interceding for us, and therefore Christians should intercede for others. See, this is the priority of prayer, these are the parts of prayer, it's important for us to know, you know, things like supplication and adoration and intercession. And then the last one is just giving of thanks, there in verse 1, giving of thanks. You know, of all people, God's people should be a grateful people and a thankful people. And I think we see that probably more than anything. Huh? I would say probably like ninety-nine percent of you, when you pray, don't you? Don't you say thank you in your prayers? Sometimes I hear Brother Joey or Richard or Steve or you know Henry up here. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, they just thank God, thank you, Lord, for another day. Thank you for your grace, for your Son, for your cross, for your blood. And that's something that really blesses the heart of God. It's an important element of our faith. And we believe and we express our gratitude to God through prayer. And we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Even though times are rough and times are tough and we don't understand and we can barely stand. But we do stand in you, Lord. And we thank you, God. We thank you for this place in Christ. And we count it all joy. You know, even when we fall into various trials knowing the testing of our faith. It produces an endurance and a spiritual stamina that we would have never had otherwise unless we had gone through that fire. And so we, of all people, when we're praying, we are offering up supplication, asking God to meet the needs, and He's the only supplier of those great needs that we really need. And we, you know, with their adoration, praising Him, sometimes through music and in other ways, There we are in intercession, standing in the gap for people, and here we are as a grateful congregation. And when we do that, and we say, thank you, Lord, then we are pleasing to God. You see, these are parts of prayer that Paul mentions as the conduct of a Christian congregation. And we need to take to heart every part of prayer. In our text today, we see the priority of prayer, we see the parts of prayer, But then we see the power of prayer. Because look again what we read in verse 1, therefore I exhort first of all that supplications and prayers intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, and all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour. we got to know, and I pray you guys would know, the power of prayer. There's a lot of different ways to outline this, but let me just say a couple of things. Number one, your prayers impact all men, even leaders. Your prayers impact all men, even the lost. That's how powerful your prayers are. Now, when I look at this right here, I think one effective motivation for me is to see how praying for all men, even kings or presidents, if you know what I mean, governors, mayors, members of the executive, legislative, judicial branches, it really makes a difference. I think it would be fairly safe to say that it makes the most difference when we pray. That's what I would say. I think it's okay for us to do the other things, you know. We want to grab their attention politically, but we need to make sure we do this. What God says explicitly: this is a priority. This is what He says in His Word. We are called to pray for all men, especially kings and those in positions of authority. You know, I don't know about you, but here we are. We're living in Almani. Really, it's not like the biggest city on the planet or in the country. And you might think, "Well, Lord, I'm powerless to influence the powerful." I don't know about you, but I think that sometimes. All these leaders and lawmakers, democratic presidents, even demonic politicians, Lord, I'm just powerless, I'm impotent. But God says, oh no, you're not impotent because I'm omnipotent. And when you do things God's way, He says explicitly pray for them, then watch what happens. We read there in verse 2 that if we pray for kings and all of our authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Quiet and peaceable. Speaking of a life of tranquility. Godliness and reverence. Speaking a life of purity. A life of holiness. This is what happens when the dreams of God come true. When the dreams of someone like Paul the Apostle come true. And I have a feeling that the church has lost the desire for their leaders to get saved, their country to get saved. And yet, what do we we read here, you guys? God wants all men to be saved. So why is it that we've lowered the bar? I think when you follow the text and you let it speak for itself, you find that prayer gets answered and leaders get saved. You know, for Paul to write that in his day, it probably meant even more than it does nowadays, right? Because back then it was a crazy government, even worse than today. But, you know, here's the thing, you guys, and I really hope that you can catch this vision. He had good reasons to dream big because he saw that happen in his own life. He saw soldiers getting saved, he saw centurions getting saved. You know, for Paul, it wasn't a matter of political morality. For him, it was a matter of Christian, Christian spirituality. His dream for every nation of the world was salvation. That was his dream, and you can't, you can't shortchange that dream. You know, he probably remembered the impact it made. You guys, when you read through the book of Acts, you see leaders getting saved. You remember on the very first missionary journey, you guys remember where they went? They went to Cyprus. And the leader of the land got saved. The whole leader of the island, he got saved. It changed everything. You read in Acts chapter 17, verse 4, the leading women got saved. They were the influencers of the city. You read in Acts chapter 18, verse 8, the leader of the synagogue got saved. Or you read in Acts chapter 28, verses 7 through 9, the magistrate of Malta got saved. Don't you think that changes everything when leaders come to know Jesus Christ It's then that we live in tranquility. It's then that we can lead a life of godliness and reverence. Now, I'm not saying we can't do it apart from that, but we've got to make sure that we don't lose that dream and we don't lower the bar. He knew the power of prayer. He testified before rulers and leaders, and he believed in the work of God. He said, Lord, do a great and glorious work, reach all men. Let there be a revival prior to your arrival. And this is what he's encouraging us to do as a church when God looks at us. He wants us to be praying for their salvation. You see, the power of prayer, it impacts the leaders and it impacts the lost, which a lot of the leaders are lost, huh? Like Maybe like 99.999%. <laughs> Lord, just rock their world. Lord, sock them in the face, Lord. Humble them, break them. Lord, here we are as a church. Lord, we are crying out and we are believing what your word says, Lord, and we are asking that you do a great and awesome work. In verse 3, one translation says, Such prayer for all is good and welcome before God our Savior. You know, this is what we want. This is good, it says in verse 3, and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Ephesians 5.10 says what? Find out what is acceptable to the Lord. This is acceptable. So this is what we've got to do, right? We've got to pray. We see in verse 3 how God sees this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, His eyes. Look at verse 4. This is His heart who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, believe it or not, I have talked to some people who they don't think God wants them to be saved. They think, you know what, I don't know what it is, but man, I just don't feel like I'm chosen. I don't feel like I'm the elect. That's what Calvinism will do when they tell you that God chose some and not others. Let this be clear. All means all, that's all all means. God wants all men. He wants you to be saved. That's the heart of God. You know, we see that as we go through the scriptures. That's why we've got to pray for all men. We see in verse 4, For there is one God, I mean verse 5, And one mediator between God and men, The man Christ Jesus. And this is why when you see people And they don't know the Lord, You evangelize, you know, You pray and you preach. There's one mediator. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to God. The Bible says in John 14:6, Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me." Right? Acts chapter 4 verse 12, "Nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved." Jesus is the only way. And we see that right here in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5. There's how many gods? One God. And how many mediators? One mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so you can kind of see, like Job asked that question in Job 9.33, Lord, is there a mediator? Anybody that can help? Right? And what we find is Jesus is that. And so it's kind of like Jesus grabbed all the ungodly men with this hand, and He grabbed all the holiness of His Father with this hand, and there on that cross, He became our mediator. Whatever you do, don't ever think that there's another way to heaven you know, as a matter of fact, it's unfortunate that the Catholic Church teaches that Mary is a mediator. Is Mary a mediator? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Oh, the Catholic Church doesn't teach that. Well, you go over to their catechism in the Catholic Catechism, paragraph 969. It's right there. And it says about Mary, that she's a mediatrix. She's taken up to heaven. She did not lay aside this saving office, but by her manifold intercession, continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. Therefore, they say the Blessed Virgin is invoked in the church under the titles of advocate, helper, benefactress, and mediatrix. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't some in the Catholic Church that are saved, because it is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You trust in him. But I am saying this, that if a church teaches, there's another mediator. And that that's their official doctrine. Then that is heresy, because it says right here, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You know, The other day I was there driving. Have you guys seen that bumper sticker yet? It says, if you can't find Jesus, look for his mother. Have you guys seen that? And so I crashed into it. (laughs) No, you know what? If I would have had my Hummer, I would have done it that day. But... (laughs) I was just like, oh, this is crazy, you know, I don't need to look for for Mary, man. Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says, you know what, there's a throne of grace. Even though I'm a wretched man, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And I can go in, I don't need to go through anybody else. Because Jesus died for me. I don't need to go through a saint, I don't need to go through a Mary. There's one mediator, and is Jesus, and that's where we go. See, that's important for us to understand. You know, the Catholic Church has a real popular book by St. Alphonsus Liguri. And in it, he says, Mary is the most faithful mediator of salvation. He says, she has been made the ladder to paradise, the gate to heaven, the most true mediator between God and human beings. He says, no creature has since received any grace from God except through the hands of Mary. See, that's what they teach. Last time I checked, one meant one. I looked this up in the Greek. I'm like, what is this one right here, Lord? (laughs) One. (laughs) Some people get mad. They're like, oh, you're saying that Jesus is the only way and there's no other way to heaven? Yeah. You know, why do you get mad about that? Why do they get mad? I'm just so glad he made a way, aren't you? He died on that cross for us, you guys. See, there's one God, one meaning between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Ransom is a sum of money or other payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. You know, if you can visualize yourself kidnapped by the devil. The ransom was the Son of God. He paid the price and He died for us. And that's why Jesus says in Mark ten forty five, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom. You see, what we find is that God here is just saying, this is the way it works. You know, I want you to know the priority of prayer. I want you to know the parts of prayer. And I want you to know the power of prayer, that I can touch leaders, I can save them. I want everybody to be saved. And you know, here's the different things that I've done. One last thing is I need a voice. I need a voice. And that's where Paul comes in in verse 7 for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. You guys, don't get sidetracked. Don't get engaged in the affairs of this life. Don't get me wrong. I know you got to pay the bills. I know you've got to put food on the table. I know you got to you know, exercise, whatever it is. But let the primary passion of your life to be part of the kingdom of God where you see souls saved. And for some of you here, man, it's a voice. You're the voice. Paul says, I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. I'm the, so to speak, the lips of the Lord, the voice of the Almighty. And you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be perfect. Can you say this word? Jesus. You need Jesus. My son was asking me on the way over here today, Dad, how do you say that in Spanish? You know, Jesus loves you. And I said, real simple, man. Jesús te ama. So you go out there. I don't know Spanish. Tell them. Jesus te ama, man. (laughs) Jesus loves you. And you become that voice. And here's the thing, okay? We're preaching. We're preaching. But don't go preaching without praying. And you're praying. So you're praying, but then you also got to go preaching. Right? And what happens? People get saved. It's so cool. And so we got to make sure we have that heart to pray. And so we read in verse 8. This is our last verse. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And so we come back to prayer. And he's talking more than likely about the Christian assembly, and everybody's called to pray. But now I want you, men, men, okay, men, you ready? Let's catch that vision, you guys. You're the spiritual leader of your home. When was the last time where you told your wife, let's get on our knees, sweetheart, because we have some things that we have to pray about. Oh, well, let's talk about it. Talk to God about it. You know, I love what Lena Heitzig said. She said, you know what, I have no problem following the leadership of my husband because I know he's a praying man. He prays. A lot of times guys don't want to take up that leadership, man. And we should take up that leadership in the home. We should take up that leadership in the church. And when you do pray, it's so cool. You can pray with your hands lifted up, right? Hands lifted up. Why do we lift up our hands? We lift up our hands for surrender. Every sir, the police officer say, stick them up. Okay, surrender, right? I surrender to you, God. And we lift up our hands, what? By faith, God, I receive. I know that every good gift comes from above, right? We lift up our hands in in adoration and praise to Him. But here's the thing, you guys. Okay, you're doing it great. You know, Ezra got down on his knees. He lifted up his hands. He prayed. Solomon lifted up his hands. He prayed. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to be like Ezra. I'm going to be like Solomon. One last thing. How are those hands? Are those dirty hands? Or are they clean hands? Are they holy hands? He says, I want the men everywhere, I want to start praying. I want to lift up hands, but I want them to lift up hands without wrath and without doubting. Don't tell me, don't think for a moment that you are going to experience the power of answered prayer in your life. If you're not living the life, go to God, ask for forgiveness. Ask Him for a new start, ask Him for a new heart. But if you're there, how many times, guys, if we struggle with anger. We get mad. You think God's going to answer your prayer? I don't think so. Disobedience or doubt will kill your prayers. That's what we got to do. we got to pray. we got to pray, you guys. we got to know. we got to believe. We want to see God move. It's not going to happen unless we finally come to what I would consider to be Probably the And I don't know, everybody's different here, but for me, let's be honest, okay? Let's just be honest. It's probably the most difficult spiritual discipline of all, right? I mean, I don't have no problem getting to the Word, to be honest with you. Listening to a Bible study, going to church, whatever it is. I like to fellowship because I like to eat. You know, there are spiritual disciplines that are real easy to do, you know? But let's be honest, you guys. It's okay to say, you know what? I've fallen short in this area. And so, Lord... um, Make me a man of prayer. Make us a church of prayer. God, do a great, great work. We're going to see that as he gets specific, he, one verse for the men, you got a whole bunch of verses for the ladies. We get to get you next week, right? Same thing in 1 Peter chapter 3. One verse for the men, a whole bunch of verses for the ladies. What's that telling you? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> It'll be exciting, so make sure you come back next week. But man, I pray you would know the power of prayer. I'll close with one story that I shared with you guys many times before, but I know, you know, it just really speaks volumes to my life because even I fall short in my prayer life, but I never give up, I never give up. And I remember one time there was a period of my life and what I do is I write, I write my prayers out, you know, not that I stick to it, but, you know, there's just certain things. I wrote I wrote out the prayer for my wife and, you know, it was really cool. And then I wrote out my prayer, my heart for my daughter you know, things that, you know, obviously you see that, you know, they need or whatever. And then I remember there was a period of time where I hadn't done it for my son. I hadn't written out the prayer for my son. And days went by, and I think days turned into weeks. And then finally the Holy Spirit, he just convicted me. He convicted me. Why have you written a prayer for your wife, a prayer for your daughter, not for your son? So he woke me up one day at three in the morning, and he said, Write that prayer. So I remember, man. I wrote that prayer for my son. And I knew the Lord was leading me. I knew he was guiding me. I knew he was helping me. I knew how important it was. But I'll never forget, three in the morning, right? There I am, writing the prayer for my son. And all of a sudden, I hear a noise in the house. It's coming from the direction of my son's bedroom, which is on the other side of the house. And he starts walking down the hall. And then he, you know, he comes to me. Hey, Dad. I'm all like, what in the world are you doing up? At 3 in the morning. I wasn't making any noise. And I know you, son. Like most teenagers, they don't get up until about 12 unless you pull them out of bed, right? What in the world are you doing up at 3 in the morning? And just smiled at me. And he went back to bed. And the Lord just, he spoke to me. He said, your prayers will come up. Our prayers. Do you realize what happened when we pray the way that we should? Like the church is called to. I want to encourage you guys. I don't want to condemn you. I don't want to beat you up because maybe you haven't you know, done everything. But you know what? Never give up on this. The one thing the disciples asked Jesus to teach them was how to pray. Because that was the thing that about our Lord's life that was so powerful. And I really believe it should be an earmark for us, as all of us as Christians as well. And so, Lord, we thank you for your love and grace in our life. Oh, Lord, I pray you forgive me of my sins and you bring us to this beautiful place. Like our, our brother Joy was saying, you know, we get to be with God. I mean, it's not a burden, what a blessing. It is to be with you, to sit at your feet, to worship, to cry out for our needs, for our brothers, for our sisters. And just thank you for all that you've done. Lord, to ask for you to save our president, our governor, every member of that executive judicial and legislative branch. Lord, for our mayor here and city council, for all the leaders, even in the churches, God, do a great work. I pray, we pray today, and for those loved ones that are represented here, and the ones that are heavy on our heart, the ones that are struggling, the ones that are so lost, God, we pray for their salvation. We love you, we thank you, and we ask in Jesus' name.